Somebody's ready. I want to look at Matthew chapter 27 towards the end uh, of the passage there, or the end of the chapter. We'll just begin reading uh, at verse 45, and we'll end the chapter and begin to focus on verse 60. Verse 45 begins, Now from the sixth hour darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Many women were there looking from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, Joseph whom himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene was there, the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that he was still alive. That deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go. Make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, to read your word, the word that you have uh, long prepared, that word that you have given that men may know your son and that in him they may find eternal life and lord we have done so many of us here found uh, eternal life with jesus christ but we have not found it on our own lord for your spirit has testified as a witness uh, to the things that we have just read this morning we ask again that according to your great mercy and your grace and your loving kindness that you would again reveal to us the truths 
of our Savior Jesus Christ throughout this passage as we read this morning, Lord, that we would uh, come to know him in a greater way, that we would uh, continue to awe over what he has done to find joy in serving him, Lord, to find righteousness in his name and in his way. God, and as we uh, pray for this spiritual discernment to come from heaven as we read the word, we also pray, God, that uh, the truth of Christ would reign supreme and nothing else from the text. God, that we would not be uh, moved by every wind and doctrine, uh, but that we would be only moved by those things relevant to the person of Christ and that we would cling tight to those things and that those who have yet uh, to respond with repentance and faith would do so this morning or realizing the depths and the depravity of a sin nature and also seeing uh, the goodness of God Almighty in the flesh and person of Jesus Christ that we may... Uh, know him and enjoy him and serve him forever as we most often declare uh, god we thank you for your many blessings ask that you would make the reading of your word today fruitful uh, not just for this season but uh, for any season to come god that we would remember what we have heard and what we see here today and that we remind ourselves constantly uh, of the goodness of our god in jesus name we pray amen I want to begin looking uh, there in verse 57 and maybe consider uh, a perspective that we often overlook as we read these closing uh, texts throughout the synoptic gospels about Jesus's burial. It says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. It's interesting that uh, Jesus at this point is dead and uh, as we see uh, being buried in this tomb hewn in a rock wall if you will and yet there is a rich man coming a man whom from the world's perspective would have everything that there is to have uh, the detail of this man being rich uh, is most certainly necessary because we could have gathered elsewhere that the man was rich because he obviously had a new tomb. He had one unlike the common tomb, which would have been found itself naturally occurring in the rock, but this man had one that would have been carved out specifically for himself uh, according to uh, the burial guidelines by which these men uh, would often bury their dead. And it was unique in that he shared it with no one and that the Bible does a great de uh, detail in describing that he is a rich man. And that purpose and that uh, intent b behind describing this man as rich is an offering of God to man that we may understand how far Christ's grasp is reaching. For the rich man thinks uh, oftentimes, for we know that it is better to be poor and it's tougher for a rich man to enter heaven. As the Bible declares, it is better off that we would know Christ rather than to have all the treasures in the world. In fact, he is described as the greatest treasure in this world and the world to come and in heaven and on earth, this Jesus. And here is a rich man who seemingly has everything on the outside but is coming 
because he's a disciple of Christ. And when it says a disciple of this Jesus, it means a follower, a believer in this Jesus. He was concerned, but he would be there, and as we'll see, he will attend to the needs, even, uh, for lack of a better term, post-mortem with this other man named Nicodemus, who uh, was also a very uh, wealthy man, as we would consider, a very highly esteemed man amongst the Jews. If we consider the text of uh, the other Gospels as they detail what has happened here. But he says his name was Joseph. And when we look at this uh, biblical account, oftentimes we are remembering this Joseph and we look at the name and we uh, write him down as, a, as an important biblical character. And I would present to you this morning that uh, the topic and, and the purpose of this is not to think that this rich man Joseph has given up his tomb. Uh, he is not some uh, extraordinary believer. Rather, he is simply being moved by God. And as we'll see, there is more to the story than often is uh, credited from the pulpit. It says, he himself had become a disciple of Jesus through the ministry of Jesus. What's important is to understand this, that Jesus preached the gospel. This man was named Joseph and now even called a disciple of Jesus because of the gospel. Not because he had access to riches. Not because his money bought his way into uh, the Jewish religion, not because of any other thing that could be considered temporal, but because of the ministry of Jesus the Christ, because of this death in which he was about to serve this Christ. It says this man went to Pilate. He went to the enemy on behalf of Christ, and he asked for the body of Jesus. would think it was noteworthy to understand that many of the believers in Jesus saw power in just touching Christ. In fact, we see evidence even with others who are lesser than Christ being touched and then dead men coming alive. This is interesting because this man wants the body of Jesus. He knew that uh, Jesus was uh, a very important man, and I believe that even today we can be certain that now this man knows that Jesus is God and was God at this time and is now remaining God in the flesh. And he asked for the body because this was the time of the Passover. The Romans would have loved uh, because they didn't care. They had no real religion, if you will. They would have loved to have left Christ upon the cross. They would have loved to mock this Jesus and his followers by leaving his body to decay. But we understand from the text that that is not the intention of God. In fact, there is a lot to be said about this tomb in which we'll read about this morning. But he asked for the body of Jesus and Pilate because he was not in control over himself, but because God was in control. Uh, Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and I say that he did so because the sovereign God of heaven ordered that Pilate respond in this way. He had no concern for the body of Christ himself neither for the church nor for the actual man. Uh, but he did, however, fulfill this request. And it says, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. He was taking care of this body and 
wrapping it in what we know to be grave clothes. It said, verse 60, which is uh, our concern today, it says, and laid it in his own new tomb. He's calling the body of Christ now it. He says, laid it in his own new tomb, this body says, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away, and Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite of the grave. There was, uh, if you will, several witnesses to what was occurring. There would be no speculation later as to if Christ was ever placed in the grave, and there is amongst true believing Christians no doubt today that Christ was, in fact, placed in this tomb of stone we know that he was problem where people like to differ is that many would like to declare that uh, he was taken away or he was moved by some other force than his own power than the power of god almighty and we know that that is not indeed the case and even uh, the speculation amongst the unbelievers at this time was to guard this place because someone might come steal him and then we might have a real issue they might think that he's actually risen from the dead, and we don't think that he's risen from the dead. We know that Christ is risen from the dead. In seeing the text this morning, I want us to look intently on what was happening. Here is a rich man, a rich man who was so concerned, knowing that death would come to his own mortal body, that he would prepare a place. He would prepare a place for his body. And knowing that this Jesus is the Christ, he sees fit instead to place him there. It says, and he laid it in his own new tomb, that which he owned. Which brings to mind a great biblical truth. That the God and the Christ that we know and serve is the actual owner of this tomb. The owner of cattle on a thousand hills the owner of every inanimate and every living object, the creator of all things as we have seen in the Hebrews. And what we are beginning to see in verse 60 uh, is the partial view of man and the spiritual eternal view of Christ. In fact, this man was not giving Christ his own tomb. He was giving to Christ what God had prepared for Jesus. And there's a lot to be said about the description giving uh, given in the text about this tomb. What we understand is this is not like the tomb of the normal man. This was belonging to a rich man. It was fit and finished and polished. It was the best, if you will, of tombs. I can remember uh, many years ago, before my grandfather died, uh, my grandmother and I, I think my mom was even present with we went uh, to buy some uh, grave plots in preparation, and my grandmother had looked around, and she inquired from a woman uh, that worked at and managed this uh, mini storage, and she asked about this place, and the woman's response was, oh, yes, that's a wonderful place. People love to be buried there. And I can remember thinking that, and uh, the reality is, to some degree, 
even this man that we see this morning, he, he would love to have been buried in his own uh, grave site, his own rock, his own tomb. But the reality is that men can't love to be buried anywhere. They won't be loving after they leave uh, this mortal body unless it be eternally with Christ in heaven. And uh, as I think about that thing, we see that here is a man who is preparing for himself a grave. Uh, its features were uh, more richly defined than the average man's tomb would have been, and this was set apart for someone special. And the text tells us that this was set apart for someone even more special than this rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. In fact, God had moved this man to carve out this tomb. God had known uh, as Christ would that the hour would come and that he would be placed inside uh, this place of stone and that it would be shaped and prepared for the body of the living God who was at the time not living. Interesting that we would consider that. Then we have this man whom we see in chapter 3 of John Nicodemus, uh, an intelligent man amongst the Jews. And uh, we see that he had been preparing the spices for the body of Christ for this uh, procedure, if you will, uh, this preparation of the body by which uh, we would most likely liken it to embalming today. And uh, there were these things that only wealthy men would have and they were reserved for Christ. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea being the only two here that we know really concerned with the body of Christ. We know that others would look and look on and even two Marys present uh, not so concerned with the body but there was a reason for the concern with the body I believe and uh, though these men had not yet known, I do understand that the Lord our God has declared for us that this body would be raised and that these men would be concerned because they didn't know, but it would be true that it would be raised, this body of Christ. Now, in looking at that this morning, I thought, how many times have we seen this text of Scripture in verse 60 and looked and thought, here is this Joseph of Arimathea giving his own grave. The reality was is he didn't need it yet. And this morning, uh, there was a great spiritual reality in Christ taking this man's grave. I would like for us uh, to turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 53. Remember, Joseph is giving this grave, this tomb place to this Jesus, the Jesus who came unto his own and his own received him not, the prophet whose pillow was truly a stone, no place to lay his head, no place even to be born, yet now even no place to die. Hung between two thieves and then we're reminded of the text. Verse 7 of chapter 53 in Isaiah he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he opened not his mouth 
He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. Verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Verse 9 again declares he had made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. After considering uh, what that would mean, there are many perspectives that may have been taken from verse 9. He made his grave with the wicked. Uh, The reality is that in the temporal sense, being hung on the cross, the the Romans expected this Christ, uh, because he had no place to lay his head, because he had no true home, because his own didn't even care for him, they expected that this man's grave would be with that of the thieves. That the body would just simply be thrown somewhere and forgotten about. There is some truth to that for many would forget about this Jesus. Yet all will remember in eternity this Christ. Even the believer and the unbeliever being made aware of their Sin and the judgment. Some will be sent to hell. We will remember forever Jesus. Yet he was taken from prison and made his grave with the wicked. Not only was his grave uh, intended, I believe, on behalf of the Roman Empire to be placed with uh, these unfruitful men, these men of many sins, these thieves on the cross wicked as they would be but as we will see there will be some sent to be guarding this grave and that is a grave of the wicked where wicked men are guarding the grave of christ yet it says also with the rich in his death to which many attribute the rich being in this tomb of a rich man i do not uh at all distract from that fact that he was in fact placed in the tomb of a rich man but when the death is in response to his grave being with the wicked uh, it must also be married or coupled if you will with the rich and we're reminded of that truth that even the rich young ruler came to christ and what he did not have is a place in heaven he had all the things that uh, the earth had to offer yet He had no peace about his eternal life because he did not believe in the Christ. When it says here uh, he was with the rich in his death, I think that we can attribute that uh, to the first of the two perspectives, but as well and maybe even more so to the fact that the rich are not those who inherit the kingdom of God necessarily. But instead it is the meek, and those who have given all and who have entrusted everything and who have uh, presented their bodies as the living sacrifice 
unto God who have given every aspect of their lives over. In fact, uh, Paul makes many cases by which he should give up everything and yet have more than enough in Christ. That all that the world had to offer uh, unto him was like dung, as he would say. Here, Isaiah 53 uh, makes us remember that this world's riches do not guarantee anything beyond the mortal body. Then we consider what Paul would say in Galatians uh, chapter 2. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead and vain. The grave intended for Christ, on behalf of the unbelieving world, was a grave that was in vain. In fact, what we see, this tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, is not a tomb that will hold its prey as we sing, but it is altogether different. So when we revisit verse 60, now we begin to have a different perspective, possibly that perspective of Job that was partially an indicator of what Christ is doing here with the grave. Job uh, wishing that he would die posed a rhetorical question. What man looks forward to the grave, to death? This morning I would submit to you that the man that looks forward to the grave is the man who sees Jesus as the Christ. When we look at verse 60 from Matthew chapter 27, I'm reminded as it calls this his own new tomb that Christ did not take simply the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, but the believers in Jesus Christ can proclaim this morning that when Jesus was buried in the tomb, it was our tomb. This was not Joseph's tomb. This was Pastor Tim's tomb. This was Brother Pat's tomb. This was Sister Barbara's tomb. And what we should remember when we read the text of Scripture is that Joseph is not the main point here, the giver of this rock tomb, but the giver of his life is, in fact, the meaning behind verse 60. Laid in his own new tomb was this propitiation, Jesus the Christ. And he was laid in there, wrapped up in grave clothes as well, new and not his own, yet being his grave clothes. Christ has put on himself, imputed to himself, if you will, the sin of man being himself sinless and has entered the grave, the tomb for you and I, that we may no longer worry about the grave as Joseph would have worried about being preserved in a special tomb. But we know now that because Christ has entered the tomb, we have been preserved into eternity 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you think it was something to move this stone away, I would present to you it should be something that the gospel this morning should move you. That the largest stone is presented here and it was not simply a natural crevice by which Christ would be placed in a tomb like natural men and like normal, uh, not so wealthy men. This was a rock that was cut out. It was Joseph's rock. It was Charlie's rock that was cut out. And when it was hewn out of the stone, a place for the body, what was removed was rock and what was replaced was holiness and righteousness in the form of Christ. This is a book about spiritual tombs. This is a book about stony hearts being replaced with hearts of flesh, hearts of Christ. When the tomb was hewn out, this was uh, seemingly on the outside a place prepared by the hands of man, but in reality, spiritually speaking, before the earth ever was, this was a place prepared by God to house Jesus the Christ. A place by which we may return to Job and say, I'm looking forward to that grave. Death has lost its sting because there is power in the blood. This morning when we consider this tomb hewn out in the rock, we consider a Christ who has hewn out of the stoniest of hearts a place for holiness, a place for righteousness, a place for repentance, a place for obedience, a place for sanctification. As we read last week, that he would give to us a conscience tool that would serve uh, in order that the Holy Spirit may look us, look, make us, excuse me, to look like Christ. It says, not only was it hewn out in the rock, but he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb. He was keeping it so that man could not himself get in. Again, another spiritual truth about where Christ resides. It is a place that man cannot penetrate. It is a place where the enemy cannot pluck from his hand. This morning we are reminded of the sovereignty of God and that he has gone and like with Christ prepared a place. Christ going to a prepared place went and prepared for us a place. thought many times as I thought over the passage this week how guilty I was of considering this but a short story about a rich man giving away his grave. When in reality, it was the resounding of Paul the Apostle giving his life to be crucified with Christ and to be buried with Christ to see this Jesus as a propitiation. It says, a large stone was against the entrance. A large stone, a large barrier. Stone has often represented the sin of man. Stone has often represented the heart of man stone is often represented the intelligence of man in regards to the truth of who christ is 
and what he has done. It says, while all of these things were occurring, Mary and the other Mary were sitting opposite of the grave, sitting there looking, being able to do nothing, in which this morning when we see that Jesus is buried, we were able to do nothing. But what Christ was doing is that he would soon raise himself and call victory over death, call dead men to life, call men lovers of iniquity now to repentance. This morning, the people of God and those who yet to see themselves as the people of God are called to repentance. We're called to see this grave and this tomb for what it truly is. It is a mark in the deepest of earth, the hardest of places to penetrate where Christ has gone and caused to live again. Not only himself, but those who are to follow after him. We are to see that Christ is doing what no man can do. That Christ is attending, even in his death, to the need of man. Who is man that you would consider him, as Hebrews would remind us? Christ has done so. Christ has gone to the grave. Christ has taken Joseph's spot. And I would say to you this morning that Job and Joseph may be equally glad that Jesus Christ has taken their spot. That they can now look forward to the grave that we are looking forward to the hope in which we will be reunited with our Savior and see face to face. Grave is not altogether bad. The story is not just about this man, Joseph, and about Christ being laid away. It is about what Christ is replacing. New heart, new grave. Again, another aspect from which we often overlook says that no one had ever been buried here before. This was a brand new grave where Christ went. No man has ever gone before. First into this tomb and then ascended into heaven where no man has ever gone before. The presence of God Almighty, Hebrews presents Christ as being seated at the right hand of God the Father as mediator, intercessor, advocate for sinners. It wasn't just the tomb that was a place where no man had ever gone before. It was heaven, the presence of God. It was a justifying moment before God in which this man presented himself being absent of the body. Now with Jesus and Christ, so should the, the Christian be absent of the body at his death, being present with the Lord, those very things that we could never do. Yet we look at this and we're not often reminded. We think about a tomb. We think about a stone. We think, hey, you know, we got big heavy equipment nowadays we could do this in just a matter of moments we could move that stone try preaching a sermon in a grave see how many men will come to life study all you wish 
come up with the most elegant of uh, pastoral counseling or sermons, lectures, and see how many men you will save. The reality this morning is the answer is none. Yet the altar reality is that because of Christ, all who will be saved shall be saved. Like I said, none shall be lost. All that the Father has given to him. He prayed for them before going to the cross. And after going to the cross, he sealed with his blood the redemption that would come from man. He guaranteed. He prepared a place by going to the grave. This morning, I want to ask, was there a place prepared for you? Is this your tomb in which... Christ has entered are you like Paul crucified with Christ are you both uh, feeling a bittersweet truth about Jesus dying for your sin yet living that you may live and find life in his name uh, so many words written in this text of scripture so many in each and every of these books yet all testifying that Jesus Christ has entered the tomb on behalf of sinful man between two sinners crucified was a perfect man laid in the earth in which he created was jesus to christ now he is calling sinners we sing hymns that say jesus is calling calling O sinner come home and he is not calling from a rock tomb hewn out somewhere in what we call the holy land but he is in a true holy land he is in the land of heaven the land of a true milk and honey the land of eternity that we know as heaven the presence of god and he is calling sinners he is justifying sinners he is making holy iniquitous peoples he has saved even worse than you. If you need a little evidence, just look. I wasn't going to say to the pew next to you, but you can just keep looking up here. There's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning when you hear uh, the words that Christ has been buried and that the tomb is now empty, it must cause you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And if it does not, then it must for the rest of the church, calls us to cry out to God in prayer for salvation that some may know him, that we would, like Paul, become all things to all men, that some might be saved, that we would be concerned as Paul was when we read those epistles last week, that men would know Christ and make him known. While we're reminding others, we should remind ourselves this is our Savior. This is our Christ. This is our hope. This is our anchor in heaven. This is our great high priest, our prophet, our priest, our king, our Lord, our bread of life, our living water, our true vine, our good shepherd. I could go on and on with the titles given to Jesus, to Christ, but the reality is Savior of men. Most high God in the flesh of man. 
truly God, truly man. When we read about the tomb, it is both wonderful and saddening. Saddening because our sin has placed him there. It's wonderful because he has gone there willingly. And that he didn't have to wait for men to come and steal his body. But the Bible says that the Father is accredited with raising Christ, that he himself is accredited with raising himself, and that the Spirit, testifying of a triune God, that under the power of his own, Jesus Christ is risen. And under the power of his own, Jesus may remove hearts of stone, and by no other power but that of his own may Christ save sinners. Don't wait. Don't wait to get things right with God. Don't wait to come to church and think that you will be saved. Do not tarry. When John was preaching the gospel and when John the Apostle uh, was telling us about that, Jesus would pass before him and his disciples and he would point to Jesus and say, that is he whom I have spoken to you about. This morning when we talk about a Jesus who has gone into the grave, that is the one who I am speaking to you about. The one who in chapter 28 will be risen and ascended, who is present now and who can declare you saved, who can declare you justified, who can declare you a member of the family of God. But he will not do so without repentance, by which he grants. He will not do so apart from a love and service to God, calling us to serve. He will not do so without a lifestyle of repentance, without a joy in serving, without a love for himself and the church. When we simply think that we must pray to be saved, we must also pray to have all of these things because without them there is not a true salvation. It is not a uh, simple extra or icing on the cake to have the fruits of the Spirit. It is a necessity what we need is everything. What Christ has is everything. I would urge uh, the church to look at this grave and see the illustration and see the, the shadow and the copy that it serves of the human heart without Christ. I also urge those who have yet to trust in the Christ to see that this is a mark of a man who is more than merely man, who is completely God, who is fully God, who is able to save, not only able, but willing, and who has done so successfully. This morning, all that we may preach from this text is not about a man named Joseph, a man named Nicodemus, or two women named Mary, but about a man named Jesus Christ who is risen and ascended who has gone to the tomb in which we belonged, a tomb of eternity and separation from God. 
presence of his eternal wrath and because he has taken down the full measure of the bitter cup we are now preserved and reserved for a kingdom called heaven it's not simply a kingdom to come but in one sense it is a kingdom in which we are serving as christians now kingdom in which we are called to acknowledge christ's lordship to acknowledge his sovereignty to acknowledge his worthy to be praised and his worthy to worthiness to receive worship not only are we called to acknowledge those things but also as well to engage in those things if you find it hard to make it uh, to this assembly on sundays you ought to be praying to god we know that things happen but the truth is that we should want to assemble together. We should joy in assembling together so that we can remind each other that this is a grave and a tomb of the stone that was reserved for us, but it was preserved for Christ and us in him preserved. It is the gospel of Christ that we are to preach on Sunday mornings, not doctrine, not simply theology, not what we'll reap as a reward of having Christ not mansions in heaven those things are all wonderful but what we need is the righteousness of god and what we must hear about is the holiness of god you could be a rich man and you'll still have a grave question is do you have a place in heaven do you have a savior mediating or do you have some other jesus do you have a jesus who could not enter the grave and come out who could not be uh, cast down and in three days raise himself again for if that is the jesus that you have we have the jesus that you need he's not contained or found or bought with money or silver or gold but he is the payer of the most uh, indebted of payments he is the most high God presented to us in the Bible. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is this Jesus uh, from Galilee, this Jesus born in Bethlehem. He is uh, God's only plan for salvation. This morning we must either pray to know him or we must praise that we know him. Let us pray. Father God, as we uh, consider the truths of, of this tomb, Lord, may we now know that because of Christ, death cannot hold its prey. That no rock fortress of our heart will separate us from God, but that the loving, tender mercy and grace of Christ who has called us to repentance has now removed us from the tomb and has placed us in the Lamb's book of life. For it is not a grave, but it is a role to be caught up yonder. For a place in heaven has been prepared by this wonderful Savior, a true carpenter, Lord, not only familiar with the wood of trees, but the hearts of stone. 
This is a carpenter who can begin and end a house. In fact, he is that which on his cornerstone should the church be built. He is also called an author and a finisher of faith. In the world's terms, he is a contractor that can finish the job from beginning to end. And as we read this morning, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. It is finished. His house is built. His church is saved. His saving is complete. His righteousness is available to sinners. And his grace is abounding upon his church. Lord, may we worship this Christ today. May we be thankful for his sacrifice, that he had not to give a sacrifice for sinners and himself also, but just for sinners. And that it pleased him to do your work. And that it pleased you that he would be the only begotten to save those who are lost. God, we thank you for the obedience of Christ. We thank you for the fulfillment of your word from the beginning to the end of canonized scripture, all of the things that Christ has done to save sinners. Lord, we just ask that you would bring glory unto yourself and honor. God, that you would cause us uh, to worship this day in spirit and in truth, uh, to exalt the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, uh, to speak boldly and with intention those things that are necessary for a man to hear unto salvation. Lord, we pray also that we would not be fearful of the enemy, fearful of those who are deceived, Lord, to call out their deception, that they may hear of the true risen Christ. Lord, let us not be wavering in our faith. Let us not stumble or fall. Let us be uh, with the most full assurance trusting in Christ. Uh, Lord, we also ask that you would not allow us uh, to forego opportunities to preach the gospel. That you would not allow us, uh, for the sake of our reputation among men, uh, to be silent, Lord, where the name of Jesus must be spoken. We thank you for this day, Lord, for the meal that we are about to uh, receive, God, and just ask that you would bless it, uh, that it would be used according to your will and your purpose. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.